This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. We have an American president who is trying to ruin the reputation of America. Joe Biden in Buffalo, hyping, distorting, lying about what happened, who's responsible, actually blaming the actions of that maniac on good people in politics and in the media. It's incredible, but I'm actually not surprised because if we look at Joe Biden and what he's been doing, what he's been saying, even before he became president, this is a pattern. When he declared for the presidency, he actually, well, lied about America and distorted, hyped, and lied. Charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years. It was there on August of 2017, we saw Klansmen and white supremacists and neo-Nazis come out in the open and a brave young woman lost her life. The lie comes later when he says that uh, uh, President Trump said good people on both sides, implying that neo-Nazis and white supremacists were good people. But, of course, President Trump explicitly said that they are to be condemned. That's the lie. But it's all a distortion. And I remember, actually, in Charlottesville, and it was a horrible event. It really was. But one person was killed by a crazy motorist, possibly with white supremacist motivations, One person was killed. That's bad. Waukesha, Wisconsin, six people were killed in November of 2021, allegedly by that individual, motivated by racist hatred of white people, possibly sparked by the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, think about this. Waukesha and Charlottesville. One is totally buried. (laughs) The other, where there was only one fatality, becomes the most important day in American history. It brought on the Biden presidency. It's not adding up. You know what's happening. They're trying to say that this country is infused with white supremacy and Joe Biden tries to exploit any event he can to further that false narrative. For instance, Buffalo, a horrible event to be sure. 10 people killed, allegedly by this man who, all evidence says, a racist and uh, motivated by some very horrible, ugly things and ideology that he found in dark corners of the Internet. Not CNBC, not Fox News, not us. And Joe runs up there in Air Force One, hands out balloons, uh, puts down flowers uh, and uh, makes a speech. That speech was mentioned Waukesha, six people killed. Uh, We believe that this is the person authorities believe this is the person responsible motivated by racial hatred, not a word about it, no presidential visit, just a statement. I think Jill Biden dropped by for 10 minutes. Yet in Atlanta, do you remember the spa shootings? 
people of color were killed, Asians. You know that Joe Biden wanted to create this narrative that Donald Trump had fueled anti-Asian hate. The assailant was white. So what did Joe Biden do? He runs to the scene to exploit it for profit, for gain, political gain. You know that we had a really horrible shooting in Colorado. 10 people were killed by a man who hated Jewish people. It happened last December. Nobody ever talks about this either. 10 people killed by this individual of Middle Eastern descent, by the way. And where's the presidential visit? Where's the attention? They can't exploit this one. They are only care about what they can exploit to further the false narrative about America. And Joe did that today. The hate that through the media and politics, the internet, has radicalized, angry, alienated, lost, and isolated individuals. Media and politics. What political figure? What media figure? Be specific. I know what he wants to say, but he won't say it. They're still figuring out how to say it because he would be lying. Because we're not talking about this the way Joe says we are. Take a look. In the falsely believing that they will be replaced, that's the word, replaced, by the other, by people who don't look like them and who are, therefore, in a perverse ideology that they possess and being fed lesser beings. I and all of you reject the lie. I call on all Americans to reject the lie. And I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit. He's trying to say that people in the right-wing universe have been pushing this, and that is false. It is totally false. He is lying, or maybe he's being lied to and manipulated. Again, that white replacement ideology, whatever the hell it is, came from the bowels of the internet. Sites that I've never gone to, that you've never gone to, but that's where you can find this kind of stuff. As for conservatives, you know, we love ideas and we don't care where you came from. The most beautiful moment of that 2020 convention, all those citizens, new citizens from around the world, all over the place, pledging allegiance to this country, our values. It's about our values, not skin color. But Joe doesn't want anybody to believe that. We need to say as clearly and force as we can that the ideology of white supremacy has no place in America. None. We already know that, Pops. Excuse me. Next. The failure to say that is going to be complicity. Silence is complicity. It's complicity. We cannot remain silent. Here we go again. What are they going to do? They're going to challenge conservatives, especially conservatives seeking the presidency, to condemn white supremacy. Of course. But it's kind of like, you, condemn racism. Doesn't that, it's offensive. It's like assuming you're a racist. And that's what they did to Donald Trump. Remember this silly game? Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, but do it? Well, I go would ahead, say- 
always, always a silly, foolish game. White supremacy is by definition un-American and it is rejected, but to bring it up like that is offensive and they kept doing it. You were asked point blank to denounce white supremacy. In the moment, you didn't. You asked some follow-up questions, who specifically? It's not true, he's always denounced it. And for the record, here he is. And they all lied about it. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. The press is now treating half the country absolutely unfairly. Trying to say that this Buffalo madman was a mainstream Republican, there are magazine stories running with that very headline. Joe is trying to change this country forever and turn it into one ugly place. We're the most multiracial, most dynamic nation in the history of the world. Now's the time for the people of all races, from every background, to speak up as a majority in America and reject white supremacy. These actions we've seen in these hate-filled attacks represent the views of a hateful minority. We can't allow them to distort America, the real America. We can't allow them to destroy the soul of the nation. That's what I think Joe Biden is actually doing. Walking around, accusing people of white supremacy, one of the ugliest viewpoints one can have. You must speak out against it. We already know that. Why are they talking down about America? And why are they making us feel that everything is just hanging in the balance, maybe even by a thread? The American experiment in democracy is in a danger like it hasn't been in my lifetime. It's in danger this hour. Hate and fear are being given too much oxygen by those who pretend to love America, but who don't understand America. To confront the ideology of hate requires caring about all people, not making distinctions. It would be great in a moment like this for some reassurance. Hey, Donald Trump was good at that, right? Everything was getting better. Everything, we're doing such a great job. But no, this is a, a dangerous time for America, and we don't know how this experiment is going to turn out. You know why he says things like that? It's a play for more power. This ridiculous digital governance board that the Homeland Security uh, Department uh, recently enacted, this is dangerous stuff. They're going to start telling us what misinformation and disinformation is. Well, if he can set the conditions that America is just hanging by a thread and white supremacists are everywhere, you can probably get something like this up and running and get even the media to buy into it. Speaking of the media, will they ever, will they ever shut up? Their rhetoric, this is what fuels violence in America. Distorting, hyping, and a bit of lying as well. Here's a suspect, okay? He's a 21-year-old white man. This 21-year-old white male mass murderer. The suspect in custody is white. 
Police say a 28-year-old white male carrying two handguns crashed a stolen truck into a building. It's humanizing the shooter once again. Yeah, and well. can I point out that the shooter is a white man who is alive after they knew that he had killed eight people. Sorry, Gail. She wanted death penalty on the spot. Is that the problem? Oh, boy. White, white, white. Seems like half the crime was just being white. You know who calls BS? Can I say BS? I can say BS on all of this. Candace Owens. Oh, man. What a truth teller. Take a look. Bottom line is that white supremacy, racism, white nationalism, words that once held real meaning have now become nothing more than election strategies. Every four years, the black community has offered handouts and fear. Handouts and fear. Reparations and white nationalism. This is the Democrat preview. Nailed it. Nailed it again, Candace Owens. It's a little bit different this time, though. They're perpetuating it beyond just the election year. They want to govern this way. used to be just to gain votes. Now it's to gain even more power. And they're really trying to control the conversation. Look, in Buffalo, obviously, this guy has serious mental problems. But the official policy of the United States government is don't talk about his mental problems. Really? No, 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 no. You can't do that. Watch this. I want to also underscore that the overwhelming majority of individuals with mental health problems do not commit acts of violence. Um, and so comments that make this about mental health only further stigmatizing uh, mental health issues and detract from the other issues like gun violence uh, that must con- that must be confronted in our society. So just want to make that clear that we are not stigmatizing. Yeah, nobody, uh, nobody felt that way, okay? But obviously mental health is a factor here. But you'd rather talk about race. You'd rather politicize this and see what power you can gain from it. And by the way, let's take a look at this kid's manifesto, this killer, alleged killer's manifesto. I started browsing 4chan in May of 2020 after extreme boredom. Remember, this was during the outbreak of COVID and his family says this, even though the White House doesn't want us talking about it, the family says this, I have no idea how he could have gotten caught up in this. I blame it on COVID. He was very paranoid about getting COVID, extremely paranoid. That's the only way to say it. And when you're home all day on the internet, you're missing out on human contact. That's uh, I believe from his aunt to the New York Post. You know who saw this coming? Oh, yeah. Everybody said he didn't have empathy, but he had more empathy than anyone. President Trump in the early stages of the lockdown. Thank you, Mr. President. You've also said that at at one point that you thought more people might die from the economic tragedies and the economic problems in America due to the coronavirus outbreak. What health officials are telling you that? And Dr. Fauci, could you speak to that, the idea that there might be mental health and suicide related to this? Would that outpace at some point the virus's impact on this society? Well, I could ask Dr. Fauci to come up, but it's common sense. You're going to have massive depression, meaning mental depression. You're going to have depression in the economy also. But you're going to have mental depression for people. You're going to have large numbers of suicides. One day they have nothing. They've gotten wiped out one day from our enemy, this invisible, horrible scourge. So when you ask me that, it's it's so easy to figure that. I mean, massive drug use. Massive depression, mental depression, massive numbers of suicide. Uh, 
Anxiety causes, you know, disease, they say. And they said he did not have empathy. Now, the White House is saying you can't talk about mental health. We just had a maniac do something horrible, and we're not to talk about mental health. We're also not to talk about guns in certain ways. I will say, and I've wondered, and I've heard others wonder, if there were more people at that store with guns, could this have been ended sooner? It takes time for the cops there. And I know there was a heroic uh, security officer, but the, um, the alleged shooter actually wrote this in that big manifesto. Take a look. New York has heavy gun laws, so it would ease me if I knew that any legally armed civilian was limited to 10 round magazines or cucked firearms. And yes, that is the way it is in New York. Also, recently in New York, we had what seems to be a racially motivated attack in a subway. You heard about this. Uh, dozens of people shot, wounded uh, in the subway. They grabbed the guy, and he was a black identity extremist slash racist named Frank James. But no one <laughs> from the FBI to law enforcement wanted to talk about his obviously racist motivations. You useless white whore, dirty white you want to look down at me? you. And it goes on like that for hours and hours and hours. You know, it actually put our elected leaders in an awkward spot because, well, what do you say in the aftermath of something like this? And Kathy Hochul, um, she tried to say something and made a fool out of herself. Take a look. We say no more, no more mass shootings, no more disrupting lives, no more creating heartbreak for people just trying to live their lives as normal New Yorkers. It has to end. It ends now. Okay. She sounded like she was mad at some kids jumping in her backyard pool. That was six weeks ago when the assailant turned out to be a radical black racist. That's all she had. Get out of the pool. And now, because the situation is what it is, she can talk about white supremacy. She can talk about how Republicans have to call it out. She can talk about free speech issues because this is all she has under normal circumstances. Joe Biden's responsibility for the state of affairs in America cannot be understated because he is saying something about America that's not true all the time. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're confronting the stains of what remains the deep stain in the soul of the nation, hate and white supremacy. So today, uh, Joe Biden read the names of the victims in Buffalo. And hey, look, that was appropriate. But it would have been appropriate for Joe Biden to go to Waukesha, to go to Colorado and many other places to talk about those victims. And in Waukesha, quite frankly, these folks were never sufficiently acknowledged. The whole thing covered up. So right now, I would like to read their names and their ages, actually. Virginia Sorensen, dead at 79 years old. Leanna Owen, 71 years old. Tamara Durand, 52 years old. Jane Kulik, 52 years old. 
Wilhelm Hospel, 81 years old, and Jackson Sparks, just eight years old. They all attended a Christmas parade in November of 2021, and not a lick of respect from the American president because of the color of the assailant and his racist motivations. We'll be right back. The former Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, continues to make a total fool out of himself, and the left wing is eating it all up. We'll be right back. All I can say is that that the the fake fake news just doesn't doesn't get it, do they? And here's the perfect example. I can't get over it to this day still. When they were so horrified and scared and lost their minds when a president of the United States went in front of a church across the street from the White House and held up a Bible. All right. I mean, how crazy does it get? It really seemed like they would have preferred the riot that had happened there just hours before. But possibly even stranger than the media's freakout was the freakout by our Secretary of Defense and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. But let's talk about the SecDef, Mark Esper. You see him there, just to the right of Trump? Well, he's written a book. It's kind of like an apology and ex- explanation to the swamp. Oh, I didn't mean it. Uh, I was real. I'm a good guy. I, uh. So he's selling this book, and he's trashing Trump everywhere he goes. And lefties like Colbert absolutely love it. Although there are kernels of truth here that I'm savoring. Take a look. If I come out, I would have been fired, which is the president's prerogative. And he probably should have fired me on the spot. But my rationale is if I'm not here to stop a quarter million troops to the border when the president proposes it in prior to June 1st, who would be there when he wants to shoot Mex- missiles into Mexico? And if I stand up then and speak out, who will be there to push back on June 1st when he wants to send 10,000 paratroopers into the streets of America? Or shoot the protesters in the legs. Who, and, shoot the, and who will be there to stop the Venezuela talk in October? All right. Some of these items don't seem that crazy to me, actually, especially border security. Uh, can we take a look at the border, please, right? And we all know what happened during the summer of 2020. Um, Law and order, to me, would have been preferable to some of these scenes, both at the border and throughout America. We elected Trump in part to think outside the box, and a lot of us are okay with outside the box thinking, but Esper, who's a slave of the swamp, can't handle it. And um, how about sticking up for people, huh? Look at what he says about somebody he worked with at the White House. You don't have to be in the administration to smell the crazy coming off of Stephen Miller. You can see it a mile away. Are you surprised that that guy specifically, I mean, guys like that, but let's just go with that guy specifically, who was so redolently crazy and poorly informed and just balls out racist, would still get jobs right now. He is working for David McCormick's campaign in Pennsylvania, a supposedly reasonable Republican who hired him in order to get Trump's endorsement, but then didn't get it. And yet Stephen Miller is still sucking on the GOP political gravy because no one has the courage to put these guys out to pasture. Does that shock you that people that you know are terrible for America can still get jobs in mainstream political circles? I I don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah, he just wants to throw out anybody who is associated with Trump. How do you not get canceled if you've been associated with Trump? 
be like this guy and turn against Trump. Hey, by the way, Stephen Miller is brilliant. He's not a racist. Uh, he had very, I think, advanced and um, he was ahead of his time on the on the border. He had great ideas. And to just sit there, as Colbert did, and call this man a racist, that is, that's despicable. That's despicable. But I can tell you why um, Esper just went along with it, uh, because he is a swamp figure. Here's uh, one of his friends giving us his resume. A West Point graduate and paratrooper, Esper spent 10 years as a by-the-book army officer. And when he left active duty, he moved through the revolving doors of think tank jobs, Capitol Hill and Pentagon staff positions, and defense lobbying. Get yeah, right? Defense lobbying, Capitol Hill jobs, think tank, swamp, total swamp. And the swamp, they think they're in charge. The people, <laughs> are you kidding me? The opening pages, the first five pages, I talk about this dilemma. I wrestled with it. I talked to my wife. And my wife says, look, as, an, as your wife, please quit. But as an American, please stay. And I, I have to go so far as to contact my predecessors from both parties. I reached out to Colin Powell, the late General Powell. And he says, you got to stay because I don't know who the president is going to put in behind me. Right. And we see what happens on November 9th mm -hmm. when I'm gone and the Pentagon is decapitated and you get this whole crew of loyalists that comes into the Pentagon and you, these things start happening. Right. Attack Iran, withdraw troops from Somalia. It goes on and on. And fortunately, they only had at that point 60 days. Think if they had eight months. Hmm. Loyalists, loyalists. Obviously, he was disloyal. Loyalists. That's the way it's supposed to work. You see, the Pentagon, <laughs> that entity doesn't work for itself. OK, he seems to think as a bureaucrat, he knows better. Uh, and that loyalists, i.e. people appointed by the duly elected president of the United States are not to be trusted. But nameless, faceless bureaucrats in that building they are. That's not the way it works, buddy. All right. I wonder if I'll ever cross paths with him. Back to the big story. Uh, Buffalo, the shooting there. Um, you know who's buying Joe Biden's every disparaging remark about this country and about Republicans and every self-aggrandizing uh, statement about himself? The mainstream media. It's not just the people who are openly stoking this hate online or on TV or uh, even in the halls of Congress. On TV, halls of Congress. What kind of hate are they talking about and who are they talking about? They're not being specific. They're warming up to it, but they're hyping, they're distorting, and they're doing a lot of lying. More but the people who don't say stop, the people who don't call it out, that is seen. I mean, you can look at, at, at studies and, and conversations that uh, people, experts, journalists have had with white supremacists. When they hear silence, that is a green light to them. Everybody calls out white supremacy. Nobody believes in white supremacy. How about you and your liberal friends and obviously your liberal friend in the White House, Joe Biden, call out Waukesha, call out terrorism committed by black identity extremists because it does happen and it goes totally unacknowledged by our government and by our culture. One more thing. Uh, <laughs> the media, sometimes they say they just hate reporting the news. Take a look at this. 
Frankly, I hate this part of my job on days like this because I have to come on TV and tell people that Congress is going to do nothing on this. There is no path to 60 votes on any measure on guns, whether it be expanding background checks, which is already passed in the House, whether it be to try to raise the purchasing age for someone to buy an assault weapon. You have to be 21 uh, to buy a Bud Light, but you don't have to be 21 to buy an assault weapon. Bills like that occasionally get discussed. They pop, but there is no appetite on the Republican side to do anything on guns. So he's supposed to be neutral and he regrets that there's not more momentum with gun control legislation. People have disagreements about those bills, those measures. 18, 21 to buy a bud. Well, you can be 18 to go to war and vote. These are debatable. You know, he reminds me of what Rush Limbaugh said. He's upset today that he has to report this, but tomorrow it's on to something else. What did Rush call it? The drive-by media. The drive-by media. I'd like to use that myself, but no, that belongs to Rush. All right, folks, stay with us. Elon Musk had some great things to say about Joe Biden. I mean, we're going to like it because he doesn't like Joe Biden. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. Stay with us. This is a real piece of work. Corrine Jean-Pierre, the new press secretary. I think she's going to be even worse than Saki. Here she is, the biggest job of her life. White House press secretary, right? What does she talk about? I don't know. I think she might be looking for a date. I think she, this is the kind of stuff you put on a dating app. You don't say it from the White House podium on your first day at work. I am obviously acutely aware uh, that my presence at this podium uh, represents a few firsts. Uh, I am a black gay immigrant woman, the first of all three of those to hold this position. I would not be here today if it were not for generations of barriers, pe barrier breaking people before me. I stand on their shoulders. If, if it were not for generations of barrier, barrier breaking people before me, I would not be here. Nah. Black gay immigrant woman. I don't care. Do you? I think what she's doing here is using that status because this is amazing status right now and possibly using it against the reporters. Don't mess with me. I'm a black gay immigrant woman. I mean, talk about status. And this is uh, this is her thing. She was promoting a book a couple of years ago, way before she got this job, again with the black gay immigrant woman. Who cares? The man who is now sitting in the building I used to work in hates everything that I am. A black gay immigrant woman. I just, it's, it's kind of silly, right? Uh, is she looking for a date? I don't, I uh, personally, as a white married, American-born male, don't care. And I don't think she cares about my status either. And that's fine. That's fine. It's about the ideas, right? That's the way it used to be, at least. All right. So we all know that Joe Biden is struggling. He struggles when he's reading from the teleprompter. He's struggling when he's not reading from the teleprompter. He's, uh, he's just not good at this stuff. Uh, we've all seen it. We've all cringed. You know who also noticed? the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, and he's not afraid to say something about it. The real president is whoever controls the teleprompter. 
you know, it's like, it's like the, the, the path to power is the path to the teleprompter, you know, like what, because what, that then he just reads the teleprompter. So, you know, I, I do feel like, like if, if somebody would accidentally lead on the, lean on the teleprompter, it's going to be like Anchorman. It's going to be like QQQ ASDF one, two, three, you know, type of thing. Um, <laughs> I like this guy, you know, the whole tech community, the culture, the arts, Hollywood, they all called out Trump all the time. This is the only guy we got at that level doing it, and I love it. Thank you, Elon Musk. When we come back, if you had a differing view with the Black Lives Matter movement, if you had concerns about whether this was a justified response, you might get in big trouble with your employer. It happened to our next guest, but he's fighting back. Be right back. So, really started in the summer of 2020, the Black Lives Matter protests. You know how much fake news there was about police violence, especially police violence in communities of color? Uh, so much fake news, not enough data. It was infuriating to a lot of people, uh, including me, and possibly to our next guest, Zach Kriegman. At the time, he was the director of data science for Thomson Reuters. He sat down and he wrote a massive essay that was backed up by facts and it was about BLM and their spreading of falsehoods that have led to big problems. Here are some of his takeaways. Let's go through it real quick. I have grown more and more concerned about the damage that the movement is doing to many low-income black communities. The claim at the heart of the movement that police more readily shoot black people is false. In both our internal discussion and external coverage, there seems to be uh, a nearly absolute failure to examine the scholarly research. And he says Thomson Reuters must do a better, uh, better to resist simplistic narratives that are not based in facts and evidence. For his trouble, he got in big trouble with his bosses. Uh, Zach Kriegman joins us right now. He's filed a complaint with the EEOC. This is gaining momentum. Uh, prominent journalist Barry Weiss called attention to this. Uh, first of all, Zach, welcome to Newsmax. How you doing? Um, I'm good. Thanks a lot for having me on, Greg. You bet. Listen, I, I went through your piece. I hope that was an adequate summary. I thought your piece was, was brilliant. Uh, facts, data, and... Tell us the reaction once you posted this thing on an internal, right, an internal uh, web service at Thomson Reuters. That's right. Yeah. So I posted it internally just to begin a conversation about how our reporting was at odds with the facts. Um, and, you know, I, I expected some blowback as, you know, a white employee. Um, and just like I feared, uh, the the reaction was in, intense and immediate. It was um, I was immediately sort of you know subject to a variety of barrage of like um, personal attacks and ultimately highly racialized attacks. Um, so I was told that as a white person, I had no place talking about Black Lives Matter. That they were ashamed and embarrassed that I had done so. Um, that my uh, that my summary of the academic literature was white-splaining. Um, they told me I was a troll and confused and laughable. Uh, and 
uh, I wasn't even worth attempting to have a conversation with. And they even compared me to the Ku Klux Klan. Um, it got so nasty so quickly uh, that it really just sort of, I think, goes to show how emboldened uh, the Black Lives Matter supporters within the company were by the company's own internal ideology that they felt comfortable going there. Now, what about, can you break it down? Is that coming from uh, peers, colleagues, perhaps people who worked for you or beneath you? Or was it actually coming from management? Did they sit down and say, hey, pal, you're way off message? Yeah, so the the attacks themselves were from peer like peers in horizontally in the organization mostly not people that i knew i mean not people that i knew personally um but people who clearly felt emboldened then what happened was um i i was concerned because the whole reason i was bringing this up was because our our reporting was at odds with um the facts and that and and by reporting these falsehoods, we were causing, we were contributing to thousands of people being killed in these neighborhoods that are struggling with violent crime, where the murder rates are really high and the murder rates spiked after these falsehoods started to be spread. So I, I was really concerned about having this conversation. And so I talked to HR about the fact that these, you know, these racialized attacks had made it impossible for anyone to participate in the conversation because no one's, you know, no one's going to put themselves in that position. Uh, and then they immediately censored the whole conversation, censored anything critical of Black Lives Matter um, and shut down the entire conversation. I mean, this sounds like stuff out of Russia. This sounds like stuff, <laughs> you know, we came to America. To yeah. So then the next thing that happened was they called me uh, and said, if I would complained about this sort of racialized bullying um, and how it was shutting down, uh, you know, making it impossible for us to report truthfully, then they would fire me. Um, and I, at that point, I felt like I had to try to bring attention. So that was HR that called me and told me that. So I, I thought maybe, you know, maybe some senior executives would write the ship if their attention was brought to it. So I sent an email out. And sure enough, good to their word, they immediately fired me for complaining about the sort of racialized bullying that I'd experienced. <laughs> I mean, forgive me for laughing. It's kind of comical how stupid they were, uh, although this is real world consequences for you. Uh, you lost your job. Uh, you did. You are filing this complaint. By the way, are you working now? Did you land on your feet? Uh, I'm taking some time off. I'm actually in the process of writing a book about my experience. Um, I think I think, you know, having that being able to see that internally at one of the largest news organizations in the world, uh, I think, gives me sort of a unique vantage point to sort of uh, add to the public conversation about what's going on in our uh, news media. Give us an idea, and, and we have, we are out of time, unfortunately, but uh, Zach, you filed this uh, EEOC complaint in January. I guess they'll determine if there are grounds for a lawsuit, which to me seems slam dunk, but I'm not an expert. What happens next? Uh, what happens next in the lawsuit? <clears throat> or, or what happens? Well, what happens next in the scheme? I mean, like, uh, if, what is the the EEOC? You filed a complaint. I mean, can yeah. can you just jump to the lawsuit? And what is the next step? Yeah. So yeah. So this is all a little bit um, fuzzy to me. But basically, my understanding is that we can now ask for basically a, a, a letter, a right to sue letter from the EEOC, or in Massachusetts called the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination, um, and then we can go ahead and file a lawsuit, or we can just continue on the process with the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination. They, they haven't sort of dismissed it outright, even though this sort of like reverse discrimination thing is sort of like a new area of law. Um, mm. So it's 
so it's interesting to see what will happen. All right. These things can be complicated and they could take a I think you got a great case, though. This is an amazing essay. And I've seen similar work uh, in The Wall Street Journal and the Manhattan Institute. Um, the, the, the data backs you up. So everybody can read it, by the way, if you go to Kriegman.substack.com. Kriegman, K-R-I-E-G-M-A-N.substack.com. We wish you luck, sir. Zach, stay in touch, okay? Thanks so much for having me on, Greg. You bet, you bet. When we come back, an update on the Pennsylvania Senate race. Stay with us. Hey, the guy on the right, that's Guy Reschenthaler, the congressman. The guy in the middle, of course, that's... uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz, of course. It looks like they got great big chocolate bars. Yes, those are chocolate bars, raw chocolate bars in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Of course, Dr. Oz is running for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate. Congressman Guy Reschenthaler, U.S. Navy veteran, by the way, is one of his prime supporters. Congressman Reschenthaler, welcome back. How you doing? Thank you, Greg. Good. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. So, look, only a few minutes left. The polls are open. What else can we say? What's going to happen? Any uh, any. Uh, exit polls, anything you can tell us? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's going to be a great night for uh, Dr. Oz. It's going to be a great night for President Trump, great night for the people of Pennsylvania, and a great night for the MAGA movement. I think that President Trump's endorsement has really put Dr. Oz over the top. He was leading in the polls well before the endorsement. So the vote uh, the vote is very clear. Dr. Oz is the candidate that's pro-light, pro-Second Amendment, pro-natural gas and U.S. energy production pro-Israel, pro-MAGA agenda. And that's really what's putting him in the lead of this race. Wow. Wow. And, you know, a first-time candidate. That's uh, All this stuff is new to him, but he he kind of mastered it pretty quickly, didn't he? Well, he's a, he's a natural. And when I'm campaigning with him, I tell everybody that the Democrats and the leftists, they can tell false false narratives, they can tell lies better than we can tell the truth. We as conservatives have a messaging problem. Dr. Oz doesn't have that problem. We need somebody like him that is great at messaging, great at speaking uh, at at events, and great at getting the conservative message across. So I really think that Dr. Oz is going to be important, not just for Pennsylvania, but for the entire conservative movement as he's out there articulating our agenda. Guy Reschenthaler, congressman, Republican of Pennsylvania, who's up for re-election himself uh, this year, but you look like a shoo-in once again. No problem there. Please come back soon. Say hi to Dr. Roz, and uh, we, uh, we're hoping for the best tonight. Thank you, Greg. Take care. You bet, you bet. And we'll be right back. go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Hey, check it out tonight. Special coverage of the Pennsylvania primary and beyond. You got those three guys, Tom Basile, Rob Schmidt, and Eric Bowling, superstars. Enjoy the night. Uh, Could be very consequential, and I'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy. Take care. I'll see you later.